please remain standing for our sermon reading, which is taken from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to take a minute to introduce our, our guest preacher, Jason. You, you can make your way up. So Jason, I knew from Sojourn Midtown. Um, we were actually in a discipleship group together, and um, I've loved getting to know Jason. He's originally from Tampa, moved up here for Southern Seminary, and he's currently the college pastor uh, over at Sojourn. So he is, um, he started right when I left, so his predecessor was my old boss. So I don't think it makes him my boss still. But anyways, um, super excited to have Jason here to have him share the word with us. So can we give him a welcome? Yes, it is good to be here and um, to worship with you all. Um, and, and I'll just say, um, you're a friendly bunch. <laughs> uh, so you, you've made us feel very welcome in our short time here so far. And so um, I, I, I'm pleased uh, to share what I believe the Lord is saying through this scripture. So let, let's pray for this sermon. Uh, God, uh, Lord, thank you so much for this church, these people. Um, thank you for just the long-tenured saints um, who are here, who have loved you for decades. Lord, I thank you um, that we can worship in spirit and in truth, and that we have a thirst for your word. God, I pray that you would make hearts, uh, make hearts ready to receive what you are saying to them. Lord, I pray that, um, that you would speak through me. You would take these two pieces of fish and you would feed your people. Do that by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I talked to a brother recently, and um, this brother, he's, he's from China, and, uh, and he's in his states now, but he was talking to us about the Chinese church, and he was saying, over there, there is no benefit to being a Christian. There is persecution. The government doesn't like the Christians because they think that these Christians are going to bring in democracy, and they don't want that. So they snap down on these, on these Christians, and this guy who had a well-paying job, he decided to quit his job and go into the ministry, even though all of the people around know that these pastors, if they're ever caught, they can be thrown in jail. And there are other pastors who just disappear and their wives never see them again. And they know that the government has taken them away. 
But with all of this, he decided to become a pastor. And then he comes to the States. In the States, he's raising his three little girls, which is more than the allowed amount of children that he can have in China. He, he, he is able to worship and share the gospel freely. He's experiencing a democracy. And if you ask him, what is he going to do after seminary? He will tell you, oh, I'm going back to China. And I'm like, why? Why would you do that after experiencing what you have here? And his reasoning is this. He knows how rich the gospel is. He knows the power and the hope that is in the gospel. And so there is nothing to fear while on earth. And I was deeply challenged by this, right? And it, and it led me to just ask some questions of, of, of myself. Do we know the riches of the gospel so deeply that everything on earth, every trial, every circumstance, in all suffering, that I am willing to risk it all because I know that I have Jesus? Because I know of what I have in Christ. And my answer to that is, we probably don't know the riches of God in that way. Is it possible to know and love Jesus and still not grasp truly how great he is? And I think the answer is yes. And this is why we can live the Christian life, right? But, but still we have some who have accepted defeat in our struggles. Or some of you who may feel powerless in your battle with sin. Over the years, maybe we've lost our hunger for God, and we go days and weeks without seeking Him in His Word. Especially in 2020, maybe we've felt despair and hopelessness, not believing that God will really answer what we pray. And I think we just don't know more fully the riches that are in the gospel. And by no, I'm borrowing from John Piper here, by no, I mean a conscious experience, right? So knowing cognitively, but, but it playing out in, in your reality. So in Ephesians, Paul writes this letter, and unlike any of the other letters, he's not battling any, any uh, specific issues or any heresies. Right? But he's writing to encourage them, especially while he's in prison. He doesn't want them to be concerned, which he says in chapter 3. So he starts out this chapter in chapter 1, the part that we didn't read, in this super long sentence in the original language, telling them what God has done for them and how he has given them every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing he is, they now have in Christ. And him knowing what that is, he now says, hey, I, I, my desire is that you would know, experience, and grasp those spiritual blessings. And so we pick up in verse 15. Paul is transitioning to prayer where essentially he tells us to know fully of the riches of the gospel. We should ask for more of God. And so my outline is this. Don't settle, desire the Spirit, and know what you have in Christ, the hope, the inheritance, and the power. Don't settle. It starts here in verse 15. For this reason, 
And so for, to understand what reason he's talking about, we look up, right, in verses 13 and 14, he says that, hey, they, they have received the Spirit and they have been sealed, right, guaranteeing their inheritance. And he says, hey, for, for that reason and because I've heard of your faith, right, I, I know that, that you love the Lord Jesus, I know that you love one another, and so for that I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, right? And so he, he gives thanks to them. He's acknowledging their progress, right? He's affirming their faith. They're, they're actually doing well. But from this, he, he, he says that, man, every time I go to pray, I'm mentioning your name. And this prayer that he prays is so important that he never stops praying it. And while being grateful for where they are, he is not satisfied with where they're at. And so if we remember, this is Paul from Philippians 3 where he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Speaking of the re resurrection from the dead. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead. And remember, this is Paul who is filled with the Spirit, right? This man who is suffering for Jesus, this man who is actually speaking the Word of God. He says, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And let those of us who are mature in this way think this way, right? And this is the man who says, hey, imitate me or follow me as I follow Jesus. But he still, he never stops straining, striving, working, pushing forward. He never settles with where he is. And also remember that these are the same Ephesians. If we zoom all the way forward in Revelations 2, where Jesus says of them, hey, they've lost the love that they've had at first. And we see that just because they're loving God right now, it doesn't mean that they can take their foot off the gas. There is a sense that we should never get comfortable with where we're at, right? And, and to that same point, let us not give up seeking Jesus. Even though we think we've come as far as we can, we do not settle. Do we have any basketball fans in here? There's, there's, oh, there's like one and a half over here. Um, <laughs> but a few days ago, um, the 76ers um, were playing the Atlanta Hawks, right? And so the 76ers, they, uh, they have the higher rank, right? They, they, they are the expected winner. They have the better players, the more prominent players. They have the more decorated coach. And then you have this underdog Atlanta Hawks team. They're all super young, inexperienced right? Weaker players. Um, and so they get into this game, and, and the 76ers, right, um, at the end of the third quarter, there's four quarters in basketball, at the end of the third quarter, the 76ers are up by 18 points, right? And, and they have a 99% win probability. That means that all, uh, out of all the games that have been in this position, 99% of the time, the team that's up the 18 points is the winner, and so they took all of their starters out. We see like uh, Joel Embiid, who, who, who's their best player, he's icing his knees on the bench. They've clocked out. They've already won the game. 
But this other team starts fighting back. The Atlanta Hawks come back and the, and the lead gets trimmed down. 18, 14, 10, 8. And lo and behold, this team comes back and wins the game. And I think that sometimes we live our lives a little bit like the 76ers. And we take our foot off of the gas because we think that we have already attained the resurrection. But the reality is that we are just as susceptible as they are. So examine where you are right now. Do you feel strong in the faith? Are you excited for where you are in Christ and what you know about him, what you've experienced with him? Are you satisfied with how your life reflects Jesus and how you have served? And I would say, that's good, but humble yourself and determine that what you have known and have experienced about God is not even close to exhausting what he has given you in Christ. Don't settle, but desire the Spirit. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, right? Always mentioning you to God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. The spirit that he's talking about is the, the, the only spirit that gives revelation, Okay, there's some translations that say a spirit, but Paul is saying, hey, I, I pray that God gives you the spirit of revelation. And this is actually in this whole prayer, this is the one thing he asks for. I pray that you would give them the spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, not in a generic sense, but specifically in the sphere of their knowledge of God. And this rings true of 1 Corinthians 2, where Paul writes to the Corinthians, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person who is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And so the tangible result of Paul praying for the Spirit is that they would then have their eyes of their hearts enlightened. I pray that they would be able to spiritually see. And some of the questions that pop up into my mind is, hey, don't, don't they already have the Spirit? And the answer is Yes. And he tells them this in verse 14, as he affirms that they have been sealed with the Spirit as a down payment for their inheritance. So apparently, we can receive God's Spirit in a greater measure. We can be filled with the Spirit, which enlightens us. Then the other questions that comes up is, hey, aren't they already enlightened? And the answer is yes, but there is so much more to know. God who is infinitely wide and deep and great and glorious, who can fathom the richness of the knowledge of him? Who can know how much more there is to see 
John Calvin puts it this way. He says, the knowledge of the godly is never so pure, but that some dimness or obscurity hangs over their spiritual vision. There are always at some level more that we can know about God and the riches of the gospel. My son is uh, four years old. Um, he's back there in his headphones right now. And, um, and on Christmas, um, he sees the tree lit, lit up, lit is the word. He sees the tree and its lights, and he's like, man, this is amazing. This is glorious. And then you put some, some presents under the tree, and he's like, oh, this is amazing. There's presents here. How can this get any better? And then on a Christmas morning, he opens up one of his presents, and he's so enamored. Man, this present is so awesome. And he's opened the box, and he's just there, and he's playing with this thing, and he's forgotten about everything else that exists in the world. And he's so caught up in this gift for Grandma that he forgot about the gifts from Mom and Dad and his aunt and his grandparents and his godparents and his friends. He was unaware of the breath of what we had in store for him. And let us, as the people of God, not stop at one present. There is so much more to know of God. The gospel is deeper than we think. So pray for the Spirit. Paul expects that the Spirit will be given through prayer, right? And so for, for the loved ones, the people that he cares about, he expects God to answer them, right? To answer his prayer and fill them with the Spirit. And so we should pray for one another as you all are grateful for each other in this church. Some of you I hear have known each other for a very long time. And so you can take them to God mentioning them to God every time you pray and say, God, fill them with the Spirit so that they can know more of you. God, this sister right here is struggling. She can't see what you're doing in her life. Will you fill her with the Spirit so that she can just know that you have her? So that she can know just how great you are. Can you fill her with the Spirit? Pray for each other. So that we would know the riches of the gospel. And he continues, having the eyes of their heart enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? This is the desired end that Paul is looking to be the outcome um, of, his, of his prayers, right? So he prays that God will give them the spirit so that they will be enlightened, so that they, they would know, right, the power, the inheritance, the hope, and so he's not praying that they would receive hope or power and inheritance, right? They already have these things, right? He's praying so that they would know them, they would experience them. It would impact the way that they live. 
Christ has given us all this already to us who have believed in this Jesus. The Father saw that we were so far off from Him, but He desired us. And He knew that there was no way that we can live a life that would please Him. And this gospel means, hey, I see you so far off, but there is good news. So he sends Jesus to live the life, the only life that is pleasing to the Father. And then he dies on a cross to satisfy the wrath of God. And he makes a trade for us. Hey, I'll give you this life, and I'll take the punishment that you deserve so that you can be made right with the Father. But it doesn't end there. Three days later, right, Jesus, he rises from the dead and he obtains all of these beautiful riches that we have in faith, in Christ. The gospel has so much more wrapped inside of it. As he said, I'm from Florida, and in Florida we have this place called Publix. Some of you are nodding your head. You know of this glorious place. And, uh, and, and Publix, and honestly, Publix is super expensive, so we didn't shop at Publix a lot of the times, but um, there were two things that we got from Publix and we would get nowhere else. We would get the produce because it was like, there would be, it's like they had trees in the back. They were so fresh. And, and we, would get, we would get things from the bakery, so baked goods, right? And, and we wouldn't go anywhere else. Like if you had a birthday party and they're like, oh, there's a cake, the only question you ask, is it a Publix cake? Yeah. And so... When I came to, to, to Louisville, I, I, I was shocked because there's no Publixes here. There's none of them. There's this thing that you call Kroger, right? And so in Kroger, they, they have baked goods, but I'm like, there is no possible way that these baked goods can be baked to the level of perfection that you would see in a Publix. And so one day I saw these, these, uh, these cupcakes, and on the front it said, gourmet cupcakes. And I'm like, there's no way that they can live up to this title. And so I grabbed them, and I took them home, and then I opened it, and I looked at it, and I saw, hey, this is a beautiful cupcake. And then I bit into it, and I was like, oh, this is glorious. <laughs> because there was cream filling inside the cupcake. It was baked inside. And in the same way, the gospel has so much baked inside of it, waiting for us to know it, to discover it. And so don't be duped by Satan into being a complacent Christian, right? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm good with where I'm at. I've been in the faith for 50 years. I know the Bible, right? Don't be duped into being a complacent Christian or a defeated disciple. God, I, I'm not sure you can, you can actually deliver me from this sin. I'm going to struggle with this for the rest of my life. We know the God of our Lord Jesus the Father of all glory, the, the source of everything glorious. And so Paul prays that they would have their eyes open to these three spiritual blessings, the hope, the inheritance, and the power 
Number one, know the hope to which he has called you. Literally, this says the hope of his calling. So Paul is hoping that they would know that God's calling doesn't afford room for hopelessness, right? There is no reason for despair. There's a tangible hope. However, the fact that he wants this to be an outcome of his prayer means that it must be difficult for us to grasp this hope sometimes. And for me, I, I've, known, I've known despair, especially, um, especially in 2020, when it felt like the whole world was getting torn apart or burned down. when it felt like uh, we would be trapped inside alone forever, when ministry felt like it wasn't effective, it was hard to grasp God's hope. And it seems that life in a broken world gives more reasons for hopelessness than it does for hope, right? But hope was part of the deal when we believed. Your future is secure. You have been, if you believe in a risen Savior, you have been sealed by his spirit. And hope, we are actually the only ones who have it. There is not a person outside of Christ who has a sustainable and valid reason to hope. And this should push us to pray that we would receive God's spirit so that we can know this hope. It should push us to share our hope with everyone that we know. But it also means that when we are in our despair and our hopelessness, we are not reflecting the truth of the gospel. Because for us, Romans 8 is true where he says, hey, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Right? So if God had called you, then he will glorify you. There's hope in that. And if we knew, if we really knew the hope of this calling, we wouldn't be easily moved. Not by circumstances in our denomination or our country or when you may lose a job or when your child or grandchild has turned away from the faith. Through any situation, we can persevere, so no hope. And two, Paul says, hey, we want the outcome of this to be that we would know the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. And I believe that this is to be interpreted as the inheritance from God amongst the saints, right? So in the community, we would know that we have riches to gain at the end of time, right? So literally, this is the wealth of the glory of the inheritance, and that sounds like super redundant, and it's because he, he's stretching out this phrase so that we can, we can savor it. This is the glorious inheritance that David mentions in Psalm 16, 
where he says, the Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And he's saying, hey, this inheritance, this, 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 this amount of land, it's like I got the big portion. It's like I got more than I could have wanted, more than I could have expected to get. It's like I got the inheritance of, uh, of, of the firstborn child. And what is that inheritance? He says right there in a few verses up, he says, the Lord is my portion. It is the Lord that he is receiving in this inheritance. The same Lord that he says later in Psalm 16, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. This is the Lord that we inherit we get to be in God's presence, not hindered by our flesh anymore. We get to walk alongside Jesus, who in heaven, there, there is no more need for a son because his glory shines so bright. There are streets of gold that are so pure that you can see directly through them. There are gates that are made out of one piece of pearl. There is a glorious inheritance that we have in Christ because we have believed in Jesus. Why is it important that we know this, that we know the wealth of the glory of our inheritance? Because it reminds us that we are children of God. We are not just the kids that God took in out the street and he gave us a room but he never actually adopted us into the family. We're not that. He's, he's brought us in. And so we get an inheritance too. And there may be times where either you've lost family members or you don't feel loved where you are. Just know that this family, God loves you. And he wants to give you himself. Why else do we need to know about this inheritance? Because if we know just how glorious that inheritance is, we can invest in tomorrow without getting caught up in today. And this is a word for the poor, right? And you're like, man, I don't have enough. And you say, man, one day I will have more than I can ever ask for. And this is a word for the rich. Or you say, man, I don't know what to do. I have so much. Well, invest it in the kingdom of God. Juneteenth was yesterday, which is the celebration um, of, uh, of freedom, really, right? Where uh, the, these last slaves in Galveston, Texas, um, on June 19th, 1865. So this was a couple of months after the, you know, the Civil War had ended and, and, and actually everybody else had been set free, but these, these people, they were still working. And so they received word, hey, you are free. And I think about just some of the songs they used to sing because they never saw this day coming. One of the, the Negro spirituals, they used to sing, it's called, I'm a traveling home. And it goes, 
my brother died a shouting, seeing glory, hallelujah. The last words he said to me was about Jerusalem. My sister died a shouting, singing glory, hallelujah. The last words she said to me was about Jerusalem. I'm a traveling home to my grave. I am traveling to my grave. I'm traveling to my grave to lay my body down. This isn't a song of lament. This is a praise song. They are praising God that eventually they would leave this earth. And it's because they knew that something later was so much better than what they were experiencing now that it carried them through all of the suffering. And it's because when we know just how great that inheritance is, we can deal with a whole lot right now. If we live in a way that looks forward to the future wealth that frees us up to be missional, right? To, to give generously, to invest everything that we have into what is imperishable instead of what is perishable. Treasure Jesus. He is like literally valuable. Remember that treasure that a man found in a field in the gospel, and he sold everything that he had, right, so that he can, he can, he can buy that field because he wanted that treasure that was inside it. And when we give our lives to Jesus, we have given everything over to him, right? But it seems like over time, we just keep buying everything back. Get back to Christ and let the message of the gospel be the most important thing that you have. Live as though there is no other goal than to know Jesus and to share him with the poor in spirit so that they can share in his wealth. Encourage each other to remember the richness that they have in Christ so that anything on earth, you can say like Paul in Philippians 3, I, I count it all as trash. We have a glorious inheritance in Christ. So know that. And also know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. God and his surpassing greatness of power. Just how great is this power? Then Paul like goes in in this, uh, in this text. How great is this power? The power according to the working of his great might. The power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. The power so powerful that it, it not only seated Jesus at his right hand, it put him up so high that he is above everything. For our, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is to be named. The whole universe and every host, every person, every spirit has to submit to him. The power that makes that all possible, a power that is so great that it holds Jesus in authority as he holds all things together, not only in this age, but in the age to come. That power, we can know that power he has toward us toward us. When Jesus rose from the grave, all of that power 
He pours out in us when we believe, bringing us to life like Lazarus leaving the tomb. Toward us, God leverages this great power for our good. I used to want a brother when I was younger that was just a little bit older than me. My brother is 11 years older than me, so we never went to the same school. But I wanted a brother that I can say, like, oh, if you bother me, I'm going to get my brother on you, right? And in a sense, we should feel that way about Jesus. And I'm not saying that when somebody cuts you off in the road, you, like, are praying curses uh, towards them. But what I am saying is that because we have Christ and he is this powerful, I know that no weapon that is formed against me would prosper. If I am, I am persecuted for the faith, if I am li- lied on, know that there isn't a thing in this universe that does not bow down to the sovereignty of Jesus. Satan can do nothing that God doesn't allow. And God pours out that power towards us. And as a church, he says in verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are his body. He dwells in us. Like as we meet in this place, Jesus dwells in this church. And this church is loved by God and by his power. He wants to accomplish his purposes through you. So don't be frustrated with where you are right now. God's desire is to use you and for you to be a conduit for his power, but also for you to reflect his power into the world. The fullness of Christ fills this church and his people. And if God can raise Jesus from the dead, can he not deliver you from sin? If the Son of God has every creature on earth bow down to him, can he not work all things together for your good? Can he not use this church as a light to the world? Can he not start a move of God throughout this neighborhood? Can he not make you bold? Isn't he greater than any other? We have all of this through faith in the gospel of Christ. But understand, God has given you hope and an inheritance and has collectively given us his power. He's done this because he loves us, because we are his. But apart from the Spirit enlightening us, we won't be able to fully grasp these truths. So pray pray. We have the same position to God as Paul did. We're in Christ, right? All throughout the Psalms, we see, hey, I I cried out 
and the Lord heard me. I cried out, and the Lord answered me. When we cry out, God hears us. And so knowing that we have the power, why don't we pray like we have that power? Right? That, that, that should thrust, that should be the thrust of our prayer life. We can have faith. Hey, God, you have completely and utterly changed my life. Will you do the same thing out here? Knowing God, knowing God, knowing the power, knowing the inheritance, knowing the hope that we have in here should should influence the way that we live our lives. Consider the impact of a prayer like this one. Fill them so that they will know you and know what you have done for them so that they would experience your hope, would know the wealth of their inheritance and know the power that you have toward them. And when God answers a prayer like this for the church, this this church becomes proof that God is real, that the gospel is legit. And we can live lives just like my friend who's going back to China because he understands the, the hope, the inheritance, the power of Jesus. And my prayer is that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him so that you would be enlightened to know the riches of every spiritual blessing in Christ, including the power, the hope, the inheritance that you have. But mostly... I just want you to want God. Want God. Want to know him more deeply. And don't stop seeking him. If you want to know more of the riches that are in the gospel, then you should ask God for more of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you because your word is true and you never lie. I thank you for these words of Paul that serve to enlighten us Lord, I pray that every person in this room right now would go home and pour out their heart to you because they desire you so much. And Lord, I pray that you would answer their prayer and fill them with a greater measure of your spirit so that they can live a life that that reflects the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.